Welcome to Shiloh Church. We hope you enjoy today's message. If you are in the Jacksonville, Florida area, please join us for worship or watch our services online at shiloh.church. Thank you. Proverbs chapter 3. So my assignment this month has been to talk about financial stewardship, but over the past couple of weeks as I've been kind of darting in and out of the city, there is a passage that has been on my heart that is not directly about money, but is related to it because really how you handle money is not merely a matter of money, it's a matter of trust. And I want to talk a little bit this morning about trusting God from a passage that just won't get off of me, that you may be familiar with. But I hope it'll be a blessing to you today. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make straight your paths. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. Trust God. The famous ethicist John Cavanaugh took a pilgrimage to Calcutta to work for three months in the house of the dying, seeking clarity, direction, and purpose for the rest of his life. On his first day there, Cavanaugh was privileged to meet Mother Teresa, who ran the house of the dying. During their conversation, Mother Teresa asked what she could do for him. Kavanaugh asked Mother Teresa to pray for him. But she pressed and asked what she could specifically pray for him. And it was then that Kavanaugh voiced the desire that had brought him thousands of miles from the United States to Calcutta. He asked Mother Teresa to pray that he would get a sense of clarity about how to spend the rest of his life. He was taken aback when Mother Teresa refused. Clarity is the last thing you are clinging to, said Mother Teresa, and need to let go of. He commented in response that he was surprised she would speak that way because she was one who always seemed to have a sense of direction and clarity and purpose in her own life. Hearing this, Mother Teresa laughed and said, Son, I have never had clarity, but what I have had is trust. And that is what I will pray for you, that you will trust God. The target audience of this message this morning, friends, is those who, like John Kavanaugh, are clinging to clarity and need to let go of the desperate pursuit of certainty in life. The challenge is to live contingently, trusting in the Lord rather than clinging to clarity. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, 
describes this adventure in simple terms, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Wouldn't it be great, church, if the Lord provided for those who trust in him a kind of spiritual turn-by-turn GPS system for us to follow in life? It would definitely make life easier, but it would also handicap our faith. So God bids us to go forward without giving us all the details about what the future will bring. And our fear of the unknown and the uncertain causes us to cling to clarity rather than going forward by faith. But I commend to you this morning, friends, that life at its best is only experienced when you trust God beyond what you can understand. Let me say that again because that's the point of the message. Life at its best is only experienced when you learn how to trust God beyond what you can understand. I thought I'd have a witness there. I'm glad I brought my own just in case. The Bible says in Job 13, verse 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Psalm 34, verse 8 says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that takes refuge in him. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 17 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose hope is the Lord. And Proverbs chapter 3 Verses 5 and 6 before us says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. I repeat, life at its best is only experienced when you trust God beyond what you can understand. So I exhort you this morning, simply, church, to trust God. Though the burden is heavy, trust God. Though the case is difficult, trust God. Though the climb is steep, trust God. Though the cross is heavy, trust God. Though the night is dark, trust God. Though the road is rough, trust God. Though the storm may be raging in your life, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Teach us to trust God with everything. Trust God above everything. Trust God in everything. And trust God through everything. 
consider, first of all, that the text teaches us to trust God with everything. The A part of verse 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. This opening command of verse 5 is so clear and straightforward that it does not need much exposition. The command is easy to understand, but difficult to obey. What does it mean to trust in the Lord with all your heart? Consider, first of all, the call to trust. That's the opening word of verse 5, trust. That opening term, in our day and time, has become a bad word, limited commodity, and abused stewardship. In light of government corruption, political infighting, economic downturn, social unrest, terrorist threats, police brutality, divorce rates, sex scandals, and even religious hypocrisy. Many live by a mantra that says, don't trust anybody. But even though we have good reason to view everyone we meet as guilty until proven innocent, the word of God says, trust. That is, it is not God's will for us to live lives that are dominated by worry, doubt, fear, suspicion, and paranoia. It is God's will that we live by trust. And the reason why you must live by trust is that none of us are designed to navigate the journey of life all by ourselves. In 1994, Reuters reported about a 63-year-old London accountant who needed a procedure done to fix a problem in his bladder. But his fear of hospitals caused him to refuse to let the doctors perform the procedure. Instead, he did what needed to be done. He performed the surgery on himself. And he died of an infection caused by the self-surgery. In the report, the coroner announced that this tragic remedy failed and the man's life could have been spared if he simply would have allowed the doctors to perform a simple procedure. Oh, friends, how many times in our lives do we hurt ourselves in the name of helping ourselves because we determine to live life in our own hands without trusting? The text begins with a call to trust, but then it moves to make a statement about the object of trust. Watch that. Verse 5a says trust, but then Solomon here talking to his son says you can't trust anybody and everybody. Trust in the Lord. There are many who think that it doesn't matter what you believe. There are even just as many who believe and think that it doesn't matter if you believe. With all due respect, both are wrong. 
The fact of the matter is everyone lives by faith. You may not trust God, but you trust something. You may not believe in God, but you believe in something, someone. All of us live by faith. It might not be faith in the living God, but we all live by faith. If you don't trust God, many of us live our lives trusting our skill, our ability, our education, our resources, our finances, our family, our connections, our money, our possessions. Everyone lives by faith, and I submit to you that it does matter who or what you believe because it's dangerous to trust in that which is not worthy of your trust. Trust is only as good as the object of your trust, and you are hurting yourself if you trust in that which cannot be trusted. This is why you must never put your trust in your limited ability, the resources of man, or the fleeting pleasures of this world. Only God is worthy of your trust. Why, HB, I'm glad you asked, because his love is real. His grace is sufficient. His power is unlimited. His wisdom is perfect. His character is holy. Only God is worthy of your trust. In the A part of verse 5, there is the call to trust. There is the nature of trust. But then, or there is that is the object of trust. But then there is the nature of trust. This really is the heart of the statement. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's the only way to trust God. You must trust God wholeheartedly. You must depend on God completely. You must rely on God exclusively. Friends, a woman can't be kind of pregnant. Either you are or you are not. And you can't sort of kind of little bit trust in God. Either you do or you do not. Half-hearted trust is actually wholehearted unbelief masquerading as faith. Either you trust God or you do not. You go to the airport, you check in, you go to your gate. You let the Man or woman, scan your ticket, you go down the ramp, and then you get to the end of the ramp where you take that step off the ramp onto the plane. That little step is a leap of faith, ain't it? Because when you take that step off, you, you, you become conscious. You're never in control of your life, but at that point, you become a acutely aware of the fact that your life is not in your hands. When you step off of that ramp onto the plane, your life is in the hands of, of others. In a, in a very acute way, you sense this. You, you are not in control. You are subject to pilots, to flight attendants, to other passengers that won't share the overhead space with you, to mechanics, to air traffic controllers, and to a lot of other details that you don't even know about, much less are you able to control. But even though there may be people blocking the aisle trying to store their luggage, you never see the person blocking the line with one foot on the ramp and one foot on the plane. Nobody does that because we all know that at some point they will 
close the door, back up the plane, and take off. And either you are in or you are out. That's what it means to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Either you trust in the Lord or you are trusting what you see. And here the writer says that real faith trusts God wholeheartedly. That's a word to someone in this room who is an unbeliever. You have not run to the cross and trusted the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ for salvation because you have unanswered questions about the Christian faith. I'm glad to report that the Bible has solid answers to the perplexing questions of life. But I must tell you, friend, do not allow your unanswered questions to become an excuse for not trusting in the Lord. Because if you allow your unanswered questions to keep you from trusting in the Lord, the devil will always make sure you got another unanswered question and your unanswered questions will lead you to hell. At some point, you just got to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Or maybe that's a word here to somebody who needs a church home. You are a serial visitor at several churches. And you have not rooted your faith in one local church for you to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ because you are trying to find a church that has no problems. Let me be clear with you, that church does not exist. There are no perfect churches. If you find that church, don't join it. You'll mess it up. There are no perfect churches. For you to be a healthy church member, at some point, you just got to get to a place where you don't put your faith in the members and the preachers and the institution, but you trust in the Lord with all your heart. Or maybe that's a word to some believer in the room. You are saved, you are a part of the church, you may be involved in the life of the ministry of the church. But if truth be told, you are struggling as you trust God with matters of your health, your family, your work, your future, some difficult decision. This word is for you too. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It is an offense to God for you to believe that he has given his son to forgive your sins by grace. He will adopt you into his family, and by his power, he will take you to glory. You believe all that, but you can't believe he'll take care of tomorrow. Too many of us are like the window washer who fell several stories when his scaffolding collapsed under him. He survived without life-threatening injuries, but when they tried to pick up the stretcher to put him in the ambulance, he looked up and said to them, please don't drop me. <laughs> you, you, you mean to tell me God has saved, you believe he has saved you from a burning hell and has given you the hope of eternal life, but he can't take care of your bills, your family, he can't heal sick. You, you mean to tell me you believe in heaven, but you can't trust him for tomorrow? At some point, you got to stop worrying and trust in the Lord with all your heart. The A part of verse 5 says, trust God with everything. The B part of verse 5 says, trust God above everything. Trust God 
above everything. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. This is not a statement against rational thought, intellectual investigation, or strategic planning. Many people think that faith and reason have nothing to do with one another, but the truth is faith is not irrational. Faith has its reasons. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says that we are to set apart the Lord Jesus as holy in our hearts and always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks us the reason why we have put our hope in Christ. Faith has its reasons. And if you don't embrace the reasons of faith, your Christian journey will become merely experiential, subjective, pragmatic, mystical, and emotional. That is, it'll be a roller coaster experience. In fact, that's the problem with the contemporary church in my estimation. We, we, we embrace and allow anything in the church today, and in the midst of squeezing in so many things, we seem to no longer have room for Bible exposition, theological reflection, sound doctrine, scripture meditation, or practical biblical wisdom. But I submit to you, friends, that it is not God's will for you to check your brains at the door in order to trust him. Uh, to trust God does not require that you stop thinking. God doesn't want you to stop thinking. God wants to change the way you think. Psalm 26, verse 2. Prove me, O Lord, and test me. Try my mind and my heart. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them white like wool. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, says you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Romans Chapter 12, verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. God wants your mind. But, God does not want your finite mind, limited perspective, and blurry vision to become an excuse for not trusting in him. Are you in here with me? That, 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 that phrase, do not lean on your own understanding, simply means this, church. It means do not depend on what you think you know. The, the, the reason why we figure it's so difficult to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts is because we spend too much time depending on what we think we know. But the Bible says, do not lean 
on your own understanding. Do not rely on what you think you know. Do not depend on your finite mind. The same word lean is used in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 6, where a young man comes to report to David the death of King Saul and his son Jonathan. Saul and Jonathan died in battle, and Saul specifically died by committing suicide with, with his own sword, running himself through with his own sword. The young man described to David what he saw, saying that he saw David, or that he saw Saul, leaning on his sword. He was leaning on his sword. Solomon says here in Proverbs 3, and do not lean on your own understanding. I submit, church, that it is spiritual suicide to lean on your own understanding. Do not depend on what you think you know. In fact, church, you should rejoice to know that there are things about your God you can't understand. If you could fully understand God, it would mean that God is no smarter than you are. And such a puny God is not worthy of our worship. The reason why God is worthy of worship is because that we are limited, but God is unlimited. We know some things. God knows everything. We can do a lot of things, but God can do anything. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. But moving into verse 6, the proverb continues. And not only should you trust God with everything and trust God above everything, you should also trust God in everything. In all your ways, acknowledge him. The word acknowledge means in Hebrew to know, to know. In all of your ways, know him. In every path you take, know him. This is another way we're exposed, we are exposed for not trusting God wholeheartedly. On too many instances, friends, we establish and execute our own plans for our lives and then ask God to bless it on the tail end. We don't want him in on the decision-making process. We just want him to baptize, sanctify, and anoint what we already conclude. But this whole, bless me, Lord, while you mind your own business philosophy does not acknowledge the Lord. Mm -mm. What, that kind of mentality rejects God's authority, ignores God's guidance, and manipulates God's goodness. To acknowledge God in all your ways is to seek God, not to try to use God. In all your ways, the text says you should know him, 
You should seek him. You should follow him. You should factor God in to every aspect of your life. This means that there is no dichotomy in life between the practical and the spiritual, the worldly and the spiritual, the business and the spiritual. It means all of life is spiritual. If I'm to acknowledge God in all my ways, it means all of life is spiritual. Mark it down, church, that if Jesus Christ is not Lord above all, he's not Lord at all. The Bible says we're to acknowledge God in all our ways. We are to live in every sphere of life with a God consciousness that is sensitive to his will, his presence, and his direction. The acknowledge him in all your ways also means that you must not treat God like 911. Where you live in your own resources and strength and ability, but then you call on God to help you in an emergency when life gets out of hand. No, that's not acknowledging God in all your ways. To acknowledge him in all your ways means that in life, God is your first response, not your last resort. The biggest question in every situation in life is this. Where is God in this? To acknowledge God in all your ways, I believe it's just to ask that in every situation. Where is God? And the believer believes that even when I can't see him, he's in this somewhere. Where is God in this chronic sickness? Where is God in this career transition? Where is God in this financial reversal? Where is God? In the midst of these family tensions, where is God in the midst of this relationship stress? Where is God in the midst of this budding relationship? Where is God in the midst of this apparent blessing? The believer seeks to know God, to acknowledge God, to find God in every situation in life. My favorite definition of faith is coined by Philip Yancey. Philip Yancey calls faith paranoia in reverse. Paranoia in reverse. Have you ever dealt with a paranoid person? A paranoid person is convinced that somebody's out to get them. That people are out to hurt them that there's a plot to bring you down. And um, you can try to explain to the paranoid person that his or her fears are just a figment of the imagination and, and, and give them clear evidence that their way of thinking is wrong and they will not believe you. They will only conclude that you are a part of the conspiracy against them trying to set them up. That's how a paranoid person thinks. But a believer thinks the same way, just in reverse. 
The paranoid person is convinced, I don't care how things look, they're convinced somebody is trying to work against them. But the believer, no matter how things look, is convinced that all things work together for the good of them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Trust God with everything. Trust God above everything. Trust God. In everything. Finally, the end of verse 6. Trust God through everything. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. I originally learned this passage of scripture from an older version of the Bible that says, he will direct your path. And indeed, God leads and guides and directs those who trust in him. Psalm 23, verse 3, the B part of the verse says, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Just for the record, there are three blessings there in Psalm 23, verse 3. First, God's a leader. Secondly, he leads in straight paths. Thirdly, he leads in straight paths because his reputation is on the line. God is a leader. He will never lead you wrong. But this statement in Proverbs 3 is about more than divine leadership. The Hebrew word here, and this clause means to make straight or to make smooth. That's why the ESV renders it. He'll make straight your path. He'll make it straight or make smooth the path. Which means what Solomon here is affirming is not merely divine guidance. He is affirming divine intervention. The text is saying that there'll be times when God leads you. And even though God leads you, there will be obstacles in your way. Oh, man, I, 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 I struggle with that in my own life because like, like so many times, I'm tempted to think that the evidence that this is God's path for me is that there are no problems, there are no difficulties, there are no hardships. But that's just not the truth. If you read the next verse of Psalm 23, after David says he leads me in paths of righteousness, he says, even though I walk through the valley. Because even though God is leading you, sometimes he'll lead you through the valley to teach you how to trust in him. Just because it is God's path doesn't mean everything will go your way. But this is what the text is saying. If you keep following God by faith, whatever obstacle or opposition arises, he'll make straight your path. He'll move the obstacles out the way. He'll make your enemies leave you alone. Is there a witness in the house to that? The bad news is that the way of the Lord will not always be easy. There will be burdens to carry. 
There will be challenges to face. There will be battles to fight. There will be enemies to defeat. There will be challenges and storms to face. That's the bad news. But if you just keep trusting God, he knows how to move the obstacles out of your way. Can I illustrate it? So, you trust God. He's directing your path. You are following by faith. But you get to the end of the path and there's a river in front of you. You don't know how you're going to get across. And you say, it must be the wrong path, Lord. Lord said, no, you're on the right path. Just keep going forward. Doubt says there's no way we can get across. Fear says, I'm afraid of what will happen if we go forward. Worry says, how in the world are we going to get across this river? But faith looks at worry, doubt, and fear and says, if the Lord says go forward, you got to keep going forward. So by faith, you follow God's path even though there's an obstacle in the way. The path ends and there's a river in front, but you keep going by faith, trusting that if this is the Lord's direction, he'll either send a ship, build a bridge, or teach you how to swim. He will make straight your path. He will move obstacles out of your way. Am I right about it? One Friday evening, they nailed my Jesus to an old rugged cross and he died there for your sins and mine. They took him off the cross and they put him in Joseph's new tomb. But even though they killed him and thought they got rid of him, they were still scared of him. They were so scared of him that they put a stone over the tomb that would take 10 men to move. They put a Roman signia on the stone saying, do not touch this sealed stone. They put soldiers around the stone to make sure the disciples didn't try to steal the body. But oh, they only summed them on him. God raised Jesus from the dead with all power in his hand. Have I got a witness? And the Bible says he sent an angel to roll the stone away. And when the angel rolled the stone away, that angel did not go back to heaven. The angel just sat on the stone waiting for Mary Magdalene and the other women to come to give Jesus a proper burial. And the angel was sitting on the stone saying, why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here, but he rose like he said he would. And I just want to say to you, church, he still moves stones. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Have you any rivers that seem uncrossable? Have you any mountains that you can't tunnel through? I stood to tell you this morning that God specializes in things that men say are impossible. And he's able to do what no other power can do. But you must trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. 
I'm finished, church. God be praised for his word. Somebody here needs to take a step of faith. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For contact information, ministry updates, as well as our live Sunday morning broadcast, please visit us online at shiloh.church. Thanks again for listening. Have a blessed day.